The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming. He will arrive liturgically, calendrically, ascetically on December 25th, on Christmas Day. He will arrive sacramentally on the altar, and he will arrive at the end of the age, at the end of time. And if this is the case, and it is, what manner of persons ought ye to be? To quote Second Peter. If the Lord's arrival is certain and even imminent, then we need to be prepared. And we prepare in large part by heeding the voice of one crying in the wilderness, the voice of John the Baptist, which is ultimately the voice of God. For as we confess in the Nicene Creed, the Holy Spirit has spoken through the prophets, which includes John the Baptist, who, according to St. Cyril of Jerusalem, is the crown of all the prophetic tradition. And I would add that he sums up the prophetic ministry, which is to prepare the way and to proclaim Jesus and the salvation that is in him. The Holy Spirit has spoken through the prophets. So we can't avoid them. We can't sidestep them because their message is of divine origin. That's what a prophet is. A prophet is one who speaks for God, who speaks in God's stead, who delivers his message, who announces his oracles. St. Peter in his first epistle, bears witness to this, saying, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. The prophets, their sermons, they're not angry street preachers. The content of their proclamation was not produced by AI. It does not find its... <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> Thank you for laughing, Delmar. <laughs> no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, Peter writes, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the announcement of the Lord's arrival and the attendant judgment spoken of through the forerunner, through the prophets, this announcement is a divine message. Therefore, not an idle threat. The prospect of judgment in the negative sense is real. My wife and I, in parenting our children, try to avoid idle threats.
though in frustration and weakness, we have said some things, we have announced some judgments that have zero chance of happening. (laughs) Things are great now, but when the girls were small, uh, taking them to restaurants was often a nightmare. (laughs) And my wife said not a few times, we're never going out to eat again. We're never going to take you to a restaurant ever again. Well, as you can imagine, that was not true. God is not a frustrated parent. He's not angry. In fact, God is who he is. He's passionless. So God offers to us what flows out of the gospel is the river of life. And when we're swimming with the stream, things are good. We experience his love. But when we, when we swim upstream against the ways and love of God, his love is experienced as wrath. God is speaking us to the truth. He's speaking the truth in love. And he's reminding us And maybe we as moderns just need to grow up and appreciate that God in love and in mercy tells us the truth. But he's reminding us through the prophets, through John the Baptist, that the road which leads to destruction, as a matter of fact, ends up there. So we need to understand that these warnings are real. But it's equally important to understand that the clarion call to repentance found in the prophets, though hardly bereft of doom and gloom, is nevertheless issued for our good. The prophets warn of judgment and destruction so that we might avoid it. For example, the Lord sent the prophet Jonah to Nineveh. You know the story? Jonah did not want to go. He hated the Ninevites. He hated the Assyrians. And for good reason. But the Lord sent the prophet Jonah to Nineveh, a wicked city, to announce that it would be destroyed in order that it might not be. And it wasn't because they repented. Repentance is a good thing. Repentance is a good thing. When we start with the penitential order or we're uh, invited to confess our sins, it's the Lord inviting us to come home, to come back to him. He's inviting us into healing and into restoration and into wholeness. God is, as we heard in our epistle, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Therefore, repentance is a gift. 
And the call there, too, is rooted in the love and mercy of God. He's calling us to life in him, and he loves us enough to tell us the consequences if we walk away from him. If we're not prepared for his arrival. Listen again to today's collect. And collect always begins with an attribution. It says something about who God is. His character. We don't just address, hey God, what's up? Almighty and everlasting Father. So from the get-go, we're, we're addressing a God who is almighty, who is omnipotent, who's everlasting, who's eternal, who will always be, and have your mind blown, has always been. Today's collect begins with merciful God. We're praying to a God who loves us, who wants to equip us, and imbue us with his life, in his presence. A God whose property is always to have mercy. Merciful God, who sent thy messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our destruction? No. For our damnation? No. So that we can be miserable and hate ourselves. No. For our salvation. The call to repentance is a call out of darkness into light. Out of death into life. The call to repentance for the Christian is a call to higher ground. A call to further ascend the hill of the Lord. And in order to ascend... We need to lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily entangles us. The Lord is coming, and we want to greet him with joy rather than sadness. We, we do not want to miss out on what he has for us this year. In this life and in the age to come, we do not want to miss the day of our visitation. Rather, we want to, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to make the path to our hearts straight. To cooperate with the Holy Spirit that will, rough, that will smooth out the rough paths. That's what Isaiah is talking about. That's what John is doing. When he prepared the way of the Lord, and he made the path straight and level and smooth, that's not literal. He didn't hire a construction team and get out there with some asphalt and make a nice drive into Jerusalem. It's about the human heart. That by the Spirit, in, in humility and repentance and, and surrender, the, the obstacles on the road to our hearts, the obstructions are removed. 
so that when Jesus stands at the door of our hearts and knocks, and he does, he, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, will enter in. Our Lord says this in John 14, sort of Adventy, if you ask me. He said, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Brothers and sisters, he calls us to repentance and preparation for our good. You might hear in church, you might read in scripture, things that don't make you feel warm and fuzzy, things that you don't like. But God loves you enough to interrupt your temporal happiness so that he can offer unto you eternal joy. He calls us to repentance for our good. And again, the Lord doesn't want anyone to perish, but wills that all come to repentance. And his call to repentance through the prophets and the scriptures is rooted in love and relationship. His goal is to unite us with himself. And because he loves us, he warns us of the consequences of running from and away running from the end for which we were made. It's rooted in God's love. And it is on account of the same that Christ tarries in heaven. As St. Peter teaches us today in our epistle, Second Peter, the seeming delay of Christ's return is not because of divine apathy or ineptitude. Jesus doesn't have Google Maps and so he doesn't know how to get back here. He lacks the power to make this messed up world right. No, the seeming delay of Christ's return is because of God's long suffering and patience. We are made to wait because God so loved the world. Think about, think about this. Think about this, just one thing. There's plenty of other things to think about, but right now think about this one thing. If the Lord had returned in St. Peter's day, and people are already like, where's Jesus? Why hasn't he returned? Why hasn't he ushered in the kingdom of God fully and finally? If the Lord had returned in Peter's day, none of us would exist. Because in the age to come, men neither marry or are given in marriage. God has waited so that we could be and live and exist in him. If Christ did not tarry, all the nations of the earth would not be able to hear the gospel. 
He's giving us, humanity and the aggregate, time to repent, time to prepare for his arrival. And though it can seem so distant, it can seem unreal, like something that's never going to happen. It's been 2,000 years. But it is as certain as we are sitting here, or you're sitting here, I'm standing here right now. We do not know when the Lord will return, but we can be assured that he will. The Lord Jesus Christ will come again personally and bodily to judge the living and the dead. And if the Lord continues to tarry, then we will die. And we don't know when that will be, but we can be assured that we will. And thereafter, we will have to give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether good or evil. So in the words of St. Peter, considering that this world will pass away, that this life truly is like a vapor, that the majority of my existence and your existence, if we can even talk about majority and percentages when we're talking about eternity, is not going to be in this present life, though it's all we know right now, but in the life of the world to come. So again, St. Peter poses this question to us. If these are the realities, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved and the elements will melt with fire? We'll end with this. There's a remarkable Phrase in Peter's question. Hasting the day or hastening the day. The implication seems to be that the faithfulness and fruitfulness of the church can hasten the day of the Lord. Like, make it happen sooner. Well, how is that possible? Evangelism, prayer, and repentance. By evangelism, Matthew 24 says this, that our Lord says, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. By prayer, God responds to persistent prayer. And what has the church been praying day by day, multiple times a day for 2,000 years? Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God will answer that prayer fully and finally. And the more earnestly and sincerely the people of God walking in holiness pray that prayer, the more apt God is to answer it. 
and by repentance. Again, that's Peter's point. The return of Christ is delayed on account of God's love and patience so that all can come to repentance. So brothers and sisters, let us follow our coming king in such a way, leading lives of holiness and godliness, that we may greet with joy his coming. And through our faithfulness in the power of the Holy Spirit, even hasten the hour of the arrival of Jesus Christ our Lord, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, lives and reigns now and forever. Amen.